Hey, Tony Macia with the Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to the Charlotte Ledger podcast. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger and subscribe to one of our newsletters by going to thecharlotteledger.com. Today's podcast is part of a special series we're doing in which we interview winners of the Charlotte Ledger's 40 Over 40 Awards. The recipients are people ages 40 and up who are making a big difference in the Charlotte area, people who saw a need and took action, whether it's in business, the nonprofit world, education, or another field. The winners are chosen by an impartial panel of independent judges. We accept nominations in January and celebrate the winners in an in-person event in April. You can find out more about all of that at ledger40over40.com. The host of today's podcast is Steve Dunn. Steve's a good guy. And in his day job, he's a mediator who offers dispute resolution services through the Charlotte Office of Miles Mediation and Arbitration. Enjoy. Welcome to the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. I'm Steve Dunn. I am joined today by Todd Bulow, Principal of Dual Boot Partners. Welcome, Todd. Thank you. Thank you. Todd, you're kind of a tough guy to Google because you've done a lot of different things. You're sort of the consummate entrepreneur. You've been involved in a bunch of different businesses. I'm kind of curious when you're meeting for somebody for the first time, how you describe yourself and what you do. Yeah, I mean, I think I've, I've done a lot of analysis or retrospect on that. And I think what I want people to, to, to view me as the helping hand to get people from A to B, I think going back in the kind of my life, when I was in high school, I was a late bloomer. So I'm now six foot three, two thirty. When I was in high school, I was five foot two, one hundred and ten pounds. Where'd you go to high school? Northern Highlands in Allendale, New Jersey. Right. It's right side outside New York City. When did you hit your big growth spurt? In college, actually. So I went my freshman year in college. I grew to six three, and then kind of grew from there. But I think it was a actually a blessing and a, and a curse to a degree. And high school was a little tough. I love sports, but I was always really small. But I knew what it was like to kind of be the underdog. I knew what it was like, unfortunately, to get picked on. And I think that really gave me a lot of empathy as I grew up. And now I'm one of the bigger people in the room. So it allowed me to connect with a lot of different generations and different types of people because I knew what it was like to be kind of not the shiny person. But I also, later in life, I've had some success and I've been able to have some opportunities that other people wouldn't have. But it allows me to connect with a lot of different people along my journey of life, which has been very helpful. Did you play sport? You said you played yeah. sports, but you were small, so you struggled a little bit. Right? Well, so I had an interest, a very interesting thing. So I played I played football until my sophomore year in high school, but ended up then moving into track and baseball. But then freshman year at Penn State, I ended up walking on the football team. I did it as a joke, and I was really good. I could pick up a football and kick it pretty far, and that's what tryouts were at Penn State. So Ended up doing that, ended up making it onto the spring team. But my first practice- there, so Are you a punter? Yes, a punter. Okay, so you 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 just, on a lark, decided to go try out for the football yeah, team. They yeah, said, but I right. wasn't a punter. I just punted it outside in high school, just screwing around. I never really punted oh, in my. general. But I'd grown so much of them, my ball started going a lot further. And the very first practice after tryouts, again, for tryouts, you pick up a football, you kick it. Like, I was good at that. I'd never taken a snap. So the very first snap came about a mile, 100 miles per hour at my nose, about broke my nose. I caught the ball. I ended up kicking it. And at Penn State, it was an indoor field. There were two fields because it's cold in the winter at Penn State. I ended up shaking, shanking the punt. And I actually ended up hitting, I don't know if you remember Kerry Collins. Yeah, of course. I ended up hitting him and Joe Paterno in the head with the ball. <laughs> they looked over at me and I just kind of shook my head and well, that's the end of my football career, yeah, my, right? My career wasn't much longer, but I ended up playing rugby after that. 
you've described your community service as focusing around helping others. You actually described your purpose in business as helping folks get from point A to point B. You also have described yourself as someone who, as a servant leader, someone interested in servant leadership. What, what's the common thread? First of all, what is servant leadership and how, do, how does that thread run through all that you do? Yeah, I think for me, servant leadership is I walk into a room and say, how can I help you? Not how can I sell you? I think that's one of the hardest things as, you, as, as you're going through in, in what I would call being a servant leader is you don't see the immediate rewards potentially of what you're doing. For me, it's been a kind of 25-year process. I'll tell you, though, I've been able to reap the rewards dramatically now, having approached that through these 25 years of my life, the connections, the networks I've made, the lives I've changed that I didn't realize, realize some of the lives I realized that I've changed. But now I have this network that I can go back and help people. I'm a true believer that your network is your net worth. And servant leadership automatically, if you do it correctly, not that there's a correct or wrong or right way, but your network just becomes amazing. When I first moved to Charlotte, I liked sports. I ended up going and coaching at the Harris YMCA basketball. I didn't have kids at the time. It was the best thing I did. One, I was coaching high school kids. Many of the kids never made the basketball team, but I was able to coach them through the Harris Y, got to play with them. But I ended up meeting their parents. And those parents often, if you know in the Harris Y, it's a pretty affluent area, often were very good people to know in the community. So just through that, I ended up kind of networking through the love of sports and giving back. I ended up creating a really good network, ended up being on the rescue mission board, that helped out tremendously. I'm also on a Speedway Children's Charity in town, uh, which very proud of that. I don't know if you know Marcus Smith in town. They, they run the Speedway. His family ended up starting Speedway Children's Charity. This year alone, we gave over a million dollars back to the Charlotte community in grants, specifically to children's nonprofits. So that helped out my network tremendously. And just a lot, of, that's what I tell a lot of people. is like, yes, you have your business life, but if you can do things outside and give back, your network explodes but also you can impact so many people with that network. One of the things my wife and I did, and I attribute my wife to a lot of this, I used to be the person that when I gave, I would give money. And one time we were doing an event down at the rescue mission, we wanted to build a room for 80 more people at the rescue mission. And she said, Todd, instead of writing the check, why don't we try to use our network to be the difference? So we still wrote a check, but we ended up, I had a lot of friends in NASCAR and other areas, we ended up using that network. That small check we wrote ended up being about a $400,000 renovation for the re- rescue mission because of Sherwin-Williams, that was a NASCAR sponsor, came in. Furniture Row, which is Furniture Row Racing, they donated all the furniture. And it was eye-opening to me that if you use your network, you can do greater things. Oh, that's a good board member. That's yeah. right. As someone who's been involved in non-fledgling, struggling nonprofits myself, I, I can tell you that's, that's what you hope for from a board member. But as somebody who is involved in a lot of different things, we haven't even scratched the surface on your entrepreneurship yet, but you are on alongside your professional career, you're getting involved in a, a lot of different things. Other things we haven't even talked about. There's sports related nonprofits. The And I wonder how you as a very busy person decide how, what to do the deep dive into, yeah. you know, it sounds like with Charlotte rescue mission, you had this very personal experience, this very sort of tragic occurrence that charted a new direction in your life. But as you're, 
as you're trying to allocate your time between a lot of worthy causes, you know, how do you, how do you know which ones you, to sort of casually get involved in and which ones where you're, you're really going to jump in with both feet? Yeah, that's been a struggle to tell you the truth because I'm very passionate about many things. I personally, it's something that I've had a personal connection or tie with is usually where I kind of jump full feet into drugs and alcohol. As I mentioned, my brother-in-law passed away from it. Mental health in our immediate family, we've had suicide. So that's something that's near and dear to my heart. So I think when it's something personal like that, it doesn't be, feel like a job. And that's where I jump in full force. On the, on the athletic side, I'm, I'm involved in something called Bounce Out the Stigma. And one of my friends growing up had epilepsy and I saw him get ostracized. And so what Bounce Out the Stigma does is it helps children with special needs using basketball, help them feel like they're part of the community and that they can do better and you know and they don't have to be one of those kind of outcasts in a, a special room so that's something that's been near to, dear to my heart as well on that side have you always been an entrepreneur since college or did you have a job and just decided you, that wasn't for you well ironically i started in high school and i spoke at a, a high school recently and I, I don't know if i gave them the best advice but in high school i didn't want to work as many hours as my friends that were going working at the you know mcdonald's or whatever maybe making i think at that time it was five dollars an hour and what i realized i grew up in the in the 80s and there weren't landscaping companies at the time and i realized i could go cut lawns and work about four to five hours a week and make 5x the amount of money that any of my friends could make now, i'm not necessarily suggested that that was tax-free, but I think there is a possibility yes, that that, that was tax-free. Yes, yes, I think the statute of limitations I think is my parents. I, I think my parents claimed me, so we'll, you can go after them. But I think that was really the start of it, because what I realized is I could work, I didn't have to work harder, I could work smarter and make more money. And so me and a friend had a landscaping business, we'd hire friends on the side, and then I realized, hey, I don't have to work and I can get paid. So that was kind of the catalyst of starting this entrepreneurial endeavor. Did you ever have a job or have you always worked for yourself in that way? No, I, I did. When I came out of college, I ended up working actually for a company called Medicis here in town. A, a gentleman named Patrick Tien started that, but it was a startup. What was your first, what, what you would call real venture? I, and I in no way mean to disparage the lawnmower yeah. business because I, I think that is a real venture. Yeah, no, it, paid, it, it, it did very well. But my first venture was a, a helped start a company called eLogics in town. It was a supply chain software company. I was one of the founding members. It was started by a gentleman named Travis Parsons. We were, I was I think, the third employee. We grew to about 150 people. Learned a ton during that, during that time. After that, ended up starting Bella Tuno with my wife. Bella Tuno is one of the leading baby brands in the country. What we're most proud about is for every product we sell, we donate a meal to a child. We're at over 10 million meals donated. She's also over 40. You, you beat me to it. I was <laughs> I was going to jump in there and say, as I was looking up your name, Bulo, I saw there was this other Bulo right yeah. there, Michelle yes. Bulo, and it was named to the 40 over 40 at the same time. So you found a fellow overachiever and decided to chart a life together. I yes, guess. yes. And it's it's been an interesting process, both being entrepreneurs. Sometimes her career takes a backseat to, back to mine and vice versa, but it's been great a great experience. It's been great for, I have two daughters. Um, I love them seeing, having a mother that is an entrepreneur and making a difference in this world. I think it's very powerful for them to be able to see that kind of role model. Yes, you know, I am that too, but at, at the end of the day, I'm a middle-aged white male and <laughs> I'm not a female. It's interesting to me that in your your professional history, it's it's diverse. You, you've clearly got a competency with software, and that's a lot of what you're doing now with dual boot. But you've also, working with your wife, are, it's baby 
toys, basically. Like ba- baby, baby products. Baby so products, Children's yeah. accessories. So like silicone bibs with sayings on them. So let's talk about Dual Boot. Yeah. This is a company that provides on-demand product design and software engineering, right? And yeah. I think I and perhaps some of our listeners know enough about software to know that it's something that exists that you use on your computer or your phone, right? Um, but when it gets into the business of software, it, it pretty quickly becomes impenetrable for the people who aren't involved in it. So for example, as I'm looking you up, I see that you've been involved with logistics software companies before and you're involved with dual boot software. Now you have this capability with respect to software, uh, but what is it that you're delivering through dual boot that that is unique? Yeah. So we we have a, a phrase that says we build great software, which is a given, but we base our success on the increasing of the bottom line of the customers we work with. Where that's important is we use our network to help accelerate the growth of the companies that we work with. So we work with some great companies in Charlotte, companies like Undergrads, Debtbook, Pet Screening that you'll hear about more and more because they're now getting to that, they're growing to that that large phase. We've helped them not only on the engineering side, but the networking connection side. So helping them find investors, PR opportunities. It takes a certain set of skills and it takes a certain mindset to be an entrepreneur. And I've I'm a big fan of, I love entrepreneurs. I, as a lawyer, I represented business owners. And so one of the key things that I learned from that was just that there's so many different ways to make money in this world. There's so many different kinds of businesses and ways to to be successful. And I, I actually, it was guilty of starting to think that like everybody should do this. Like I, I'm always telling my kids like, yeah, you should start a business. Like that's what you gotta do. But it's not for everybody, right? I've, I've worked with and known plenty of people who have, tried something out and then they just for whatever whether it's they forgot to send invoices they just don't like sending invoices yeah. they, they forgot that they got to get paid you know that's a cl- kind of a classic mistake is a person who does what they do and loves what they do but they forget about the making money part of yep. it and, and you so you can't do that and then you got folks who are i think are just not suited for it dispositionally you know folks who just aren't comfortable being out there kind of flying without a net yeah absolutely so it's 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 being an entrepreneur, on a Monday, you can have the highest of the high where you feel like you're winning the Super Bowl. And then on Friday, you just felt like you missed the game-winning kick. And that's that's really the roller coaster of being an entrepreneur journey. There's the highs and high, and the lows are low. And so I think you've got to figure it out if that's something that you want to get into. And I, I live in a really weird world in the sense of, as an entrepreneur, I take a ton of risk. But financially, I'm pretty conservative right. like, on the on the, on the the side of it. So. It's living in that balance. The balance portion is, is, is an interesting dilemma on the entrepreneur side. You've really got a lot of stuff figured out in regard to that in terms of playing it safe where you need to and swinging for the fences when you're able to. And it is clear that you have an approach to business and life, which is one of giving and of helping. And I read somewhere, and I can't remember now, I've been struggling this whole conversation to remember where I read this, but I read that one of the best ways to get to know somebody is to reach out and ask them to do you a favor. And it's it's counterintuitive in a way, but I used to I, I used to teach at the Charlotte Law School mm-hmm. uh, a class, and I used to tell those folks, you know what you ought to do? If you're trying to you know break in anywhere, it's just, just call up a lawyer and just say, hey, you know what I'd like to do is I'd, l- I'd love to just take you to lunch at yep. your favorite place and pick your brain about, you know, your what you do. Because a little bit of this comes from 
this great old book that I read, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yep, yep. Uh, it was formative. I mean, I, I still remember that stuff a, a lot. And a lot of it is just about how people love to talk about themselves and but, and hear their own name. But people like to help. And yep. you are a classic example of somebody who, if someone were to reach out to you, I, I think a lot of folks go through life with sort of a zero-sum mentality. The, you know, It's kind of concerned yep. like anything anybody else gets is something that I'm not getting. Whereas if you go through life with an approach of just freely helping others as much as you can, it comes back to you many times yep. over. Well, it drives my what drives my wife sometimes nuts and other people around. I'm not afraid to ask people for things. Uh, and, and the way I approach it is if, if I were to ask you for something, if I like you and we have a and you asked me, I would help you. So I don't have a, I don't have a problem asking you for, for something because I know I would help you. And that's how I, I approach life. People are like, Todd, I can't believe you just asked for that. I was like, well, if I don't ask, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But I've, I've had some very interesting things happen in my life along my journey because I just asked. The other thing that you mentioned that I think a lot of people miss, so many people promise people things. They'll go meet like with that lawyer. You mentioned a lawyer and, and something will happen. And like, oh, I, I'll introduce you to XYZ person. They never follow up. If you just write down, hey, I've sat in a meeting, we do five things, I write it down and follow up. Well, but when you run into other people who have a similar mindset, right, that doesn't, don't you find that it just multiplies what you can do? And yeah. just that sort of energy when you bring it to a, a common purpose, isn't that how great yep. things get accomplished? Exactly, exactly. But I think I also learned a lot of that stuff on the nonprofit side because I, on the nonprofit side, people promise so much because they go and volunteer at a place, they get, they get, you know, feel the passion of love. Oh, I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. And they were telling me that because I was on the board of the rescue commission. Oh, I'm going to connect you with these people. And then they would never do it. The other thing that I've realized kind of, you know, you talked about what have you learned as you get over 40, you have to learn how to communicate with people and how they like to be received. For example, some people are texters. Some people are emailers. Some people like voicemails. My kids, my kids, Snapchat. If you don't, if you're not on Snapchat, forget it. Everyone tries to email. So like, for example, I get probably a thousand emails a day. I can't get through everything. Right. It's going to take me time. But you know what no one does anymore? Calls. That's right. No one calls. So I actually find better success now calling into places yeah. versus email or whatever it is. The other thing, and this is that my wife calls me a stalker for this, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> what I've learned is if you get someone's cell phone number, yeah, they can't hide from you. Oh, yeah. So I'll be at an event. I probably shouldn't put this on public, but I'm going to. Oh, let's do it. I'll be at an event, and let's say you're with the mayor, and and I take a picture of the two of you, and I'll say, all right, do you want me to, to, to text you this picture? I've got this great picture on my phone. So I text you, and I text the mayor. What do I have now? Can I send you this picture? <laughs> yes. So I've got your cell phone. <laughs> That's right? a good one. So, and again, some of this is intentional. This is so free business free advice business, free for business. the listeners of the Charlotte Ledger podcast. Yes. So, and the, the other thing is then you go on Facebook and you connect with them on Facebook. So now that I'm on Facebook, I've got their birthdays that come through. So I'm not on Facebook that much. I actually dropped off of it. I got a little frustrated with it. But I still get the every day the email that says, it's these five people's birthdays. I have your text. I have your birthday. So now every, once, every year, I can touch base with you. Hey, Mayor, I saw this. Great job. Happy birthday. Hope you're having a great day. So it's a continual touch point that you have moving through. My wife, again, calls me a stalker for that, but I've got some very good 
contacted uh, my phone <laughs> because that, that, of that. That's just good business. <laughs> that, that's just hustle, which is what you got to have if you're going to be an entrepreneur. Well, you've been in Charlotte now since 96. You've seen a lot of changes. It struck you at the time as a wonderful place to be. And that was quite a while ago. I mean, that was, you know, Charlotte's changed a lot then. And, and you've changed a lot since then. I don't know if you would have been eligible for the 40 over 40 award yeah. in 1996. What are your thoughts about Charlotte and how it's changed past, present, and future? You know, what do you see as Charlotte's essential nature and how that, what do you see it projecting into the future? Yeah. What I, what I love, what some people hate about Charlotte, but I love about Charlotte is no one traditionally is from here. Now, as we get older, like my kids grew up here, they'll probably, they might stay here, but because no one's from here, they all would know what it's like to be an outsider moving into a new place. If you go up into the Northeast, if you're not from Boston, it is really hard to break in New York city here. Everyone knows what it's like to be the outsider. So, I feel like Charlotte's DNA is all about helping people in whatever part of their lives because they know what it's like to be new to a place. I love that about the city of Charlotte. The other thing I, I appreciate is the airport. We can connect to anywhere, anytime. And you don't realize that until you go to Charleston and your flight gets canceled and you're like, when's the next flight? Well, 15 hours from now. Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. it's like, Charlotte, we've got so many yeah, options. Now it's like, well, we might have to go to Philly first, but you're going to get yeah. there. You're going to get there today. I love about just the ease of travel that 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 provides. Going forward, I live down, down in Matthews. I call Matthews the new Dilworth, you know, because it is. So if you're, you're in Dilworth, you should be looking at Matthews. But we do have a crisis around our transportation. In Matthews in particular, it's hard to get that. Like, there's pretty much Providence and Randolph coming down. We got to figure out there's no room, I don't think, for a light rail coming in there. So that is, from a city planning side, that gets me a little nervous. But I think COVID helped out some degrees because now people aren't going in five days a week into work, so people are staggering their schedules, so maybe it helped some of the transportation side of that. I remember when I first moved here in 96, 485 just opened in Ballantyne. I was like, who the heck is ever going to drive on this road? You know, And now I feel like they're constantly doing <laughs> construction on 45 because there's just not enough on that side. So- you know, that's one of the concerning things. The other thing is just, and we talk about upward mobility. I think there's a lot of great programs happening here, but as the wealth increases here, it gets hard for people that are the basic operations and, you know, the the bus drivers, the restaurant workers to live in this city. I'm big proponent on the technology side. So right now in the state of North Carolina, there are 38,000 open IT positions. And we talk about upward mobility here in Charlotte constantly. You want a quick way to upper mobility. Our education system is still struggling on, on teaching technology into the group. And not to get all, you know, I'm not trying to beat down CMS, but it's a little frustrating to me sometimes. I tried to pilot a program at a local CMS high school, and they told me we weren't allowed to do it because it wasn't fair to the other high schools in CMS. And so I get, I understand that, but I don't understand that. Like, why, why do we have to have that? Like, all for one. And I understand they're like, well, we don't want to eliminate people in West Charlotte, North Charlotte, whatever, but let's po let's try it here. If it works here, then we can look at how do we roll it out. As we record this, it's 2023. You came here as a younger man in 1996. If you met that guy, Todd Bulow, 1996, what would you have to say to him? Oh, wow. Life is not as always as easy as you thought it would be. I grew up a, a very, I would say, easy life. Always be curious continue to be curious. And I think if people are curious in their lives, the world would be much better. I, and it's, 
I was not like this in my 20s. I kind of had my own beliefs. I couldn't understand other people's perspectives. But as I've gotten older, I realize I don't have all the answers. I always am interested in understanding why someone thinks that way. I might It might be different, but why does someone think that way? I'll give you a good example. So during the whole Black Lives Matters, I didn't understand that. I grew up in a town where the police were the good people, <laughs> you know? But I had some of our friends, you know, I looking back, I didn't have many diverse friends. I ended up meeting, actually, I'll tell you who it is. It's the coach of the Charlotte 49ers, Ron Sanchez. I mean, it ended up meeting him and his wife at an event. And my wife and I just called him and said, hey, can you come over and help us understand what what's going on? And we had an amazing conversation. It opened my eyes like I never thought. And now we're you know, really good friends now. But it's because I was curious and my wife was curious. But I, when Todd was 21, I wasn't curious. I knew, I knew everything going through. Like, what do you mean? Like, I'm not racist. Like, I, I love everyone. Well, yeah, you may not be, but there's racist bias happening. And I had a roommate that was from Samoa. He's like, Todd, watch how when I walk down the street, how people are like closing the doors. And I was like, no, they're not doing that. And sure enough, I watched one day and people are running the other directions. Whereas I walked down the street, everything was fine. Being curious helps you pause and take a moment. Like, why do you think that? Like, what has happened in your life that you're thinking that? Todd Bula, words of wisdom. Thank you so much for being with me today and for appearing on the Charlotte Ledger podcast. Well, thank you. You guys are doing an excellent job. So thank you very much. That's it for today. The Charlotte Ledger podcast is produced by Lindsay Banks. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger at thecharlotteledger.com. And you can find out more about our 40 Over 40 awards at ledger40over40.com.